When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Insomnia Cafe doesn't sound like the name of one of the most successful TV shows of all time. And yet, this was almost the title for a little comedy about six New Yorkers navigating life, love and work. So in this episode, as we remember the late Matthew Perry, we discuss why it became so huge and what that tells us about America. As we ask, could friends be any bigger? Welcome to America, a history podcast. I'm Liam Heffernan, and every week we answer a different question to understand the people, the places, and the events that make the USA what it is today. Joining me today is Dr. Rachel McLennan, Senior Lecturer in American Literature and Culture and Head of School for Art, Media and American Studies at the University of East Anglia. Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Liam. Really pleased to be here and have a chance to talk about this show, which is one of my favourites. Yes, uh, can't wait. And uh, as one of the, the sort of the first people that I really spoke to about this whole podcast idea, um, like a year ago now, over a year ago, um, it's wonderful to finally have you on the show. Oh, thanks. And for me, it's really great to support the podcast as well. So and, and to get to do so while talking about a show that I love so much and do a bit of, you know, responding to recent events is really fantastic, too. Yeah, of course. And, you know, the nature of, of this whole episode has come about um, a little bit unexpected, I guess, uh, due to the very sad and un- untimely passing of Matthew Perry. And as, as a millennial, as someone who grew mm. up with friends, um, celebrity deaths don't normally upset me but this one really did it was very sad I know I feel very much the same actually I'm probably a slightly older (laughs) millennial I'll call myself a millennial anyway um and yeah it was just very very sad to hear the news and and for about two days after I was thinking about Matthew Perry a lot just I was Mm. going about my day and stuff I was actually um lucky enough to see him in London he did a play a few years ago called The End of Longing and I feel even more lucky now to have got the chance to see him on stage he was just brilliant it was very special and I'm sorry he's gone and I do feel like I know I'm talking about the show in general with you but it does feel like it's a nice little act of kind of memorialization as well and getting to say thank you Matthew thank you Matthew Perry for being fantastic yeah absolutely and uh, I, I, Chandler Bing has always been one of my uh, like cultural inspirations um, mm. I've always wanted to have the 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 humour of Chandler Bing and the, the fashion sense of Jim Levenstein from American Pie. Um, and 20, 25 years later, that's still that's still exactly the same. Um, so, um, so yeah, and I guess like most people, um, Friends has just been embedded in our sort of cultural psyche. Um, and so we want to talk about that. We want to celebrate that. And of course, look back on um, what a, a wonderful person and actor Matthew Perry was, as well as the whole of, of, of the Friends cast and everyone involved. Uh, because at face value, Friends, th- as a concept, 
it's nothing particularly sensational, is it? It's six people mm-hmm. largely just sat in a coffee yeah. shop talking um, exactly. and getting themselves into very bog standard sitcom situations. Yes. Uh, why are we sat here now <laughs> talking about it like nearly 30 years after it first aired? I know. I think in a way you have nailed it, though. I think I think it's, you know, the genius of the concept is in its simplicity, really, I suspect, you, you know, who can't identify with having a friendship group and that kind of desperation to find out who you are and make your way in the world in your slightly messy, slightly chaotic 20s, you know, which, again, I think is a fairly sort of generic life experience for everyone, whether you are watching the show, you know, decades after it was aired the first time or whether like me and maybe like you saw a bit of it first time around and then, you know, get to watch it again nostalgically. So certainly for me, I get to watch it with that dual lens. Actually, I can remember what I was doing at certain times when I watched the episodes for the first time. I can remember how exciting it was when a season ended on a cliffhanger and people would go about for months going, so whose bedroom does it go into? Is it Bonnie's or is it Rachel's? <laughs> um, but now, of course, you can sit all day and just like binge, you know, the entire yeah. 10 seasons in like a fortnight or something if you have the time and the energy, you know, which which I would do if I had the time and the energy. Yeah. But I wonder if that was part of it, though, because nowadays, you know, you can go onto your favorite streaming service and, and mm. you can just binge something in a day. And then, you know, yeah. you know, a month later, everyone's forgotten about it. Friends, like a lot of big shows at that time, it was like event television because you only had the TV schedule and you had to you had to put aside that specific half an hour of your week to watch the latest episode. And Friends was it was just huge. And and I remember the final episode being this like massive like landmark mm-hmm. event that you know the world felt like it ground to a halt for that that yeah. hour. But I first. I first started watching Friends. It was, you mentioned the whole sort of Bonnie or Rachel cliffhanger. Mm. That was the point that I started watching it because I I remember I I must have been about 11 years old and it was FOMO. It was entirely FOMO. My friends were talking about it and like, oh, Friends is starting again. So I was like, okay, I'll I'll give it a watch. Um, And by the end of that season, season four, I was was hooked. And then that was it. I had to go back, rewatch all the the old ones. And it was just, that was it then. I was was mad about it. I know it's just lovely hearing everybody's different story about it. So for me, I can definitely remember an episode in season one, like watching that the first time it came out. And it was the one where I think the bulk of the jokes are around Monica and her obsessive sort of tidiness. And it's a Chandler episode, actually. He's got a plot with him. Um, he's seeing the the very beautiful lady who has like a husband and three other boyfriends or something like that. And Chandler decides that he can't be part of this very, you know, complicated menage. So that's the first episode I remember watching. But I was only a pretty early teenager. And then when it finished 10 years later, I was finishing up my PhD, you know. So you go through 10 years of a season or a series, rather, it's a long time for people. And even if you join in like season four or five, you know, it does become immediately part of your kind of life story, I think. And you start being able to sort of chart your own experiences. And as you say, you know, there were less channels to watch. So people had less viewing options. But it was just such a brilliant show. People wanted to watch it anyway. And I think that um, it's, it was almost like if it's not too anachronistic, kind of like a water cooler moment. You know, you would talk about what happened in the different episodes. You would talk about it with your friends, with your family. And I think that whole concept of friendship and sort of community is what the show is all about anyway. So mm-hmm. it kind of taps into the viewing experience and, and kind of syncs that up very nicely with some of the big themes of the show itself. Yeah, and I, and I think you know talking about it in in that way, there's there's definite parallels to to um, 
other sitcoms like Frasier, which which haven't maybe endured as much as, as Friends has, but ran kind of parallel to, yes. to Friends. And I think Frasier was perhaps more designed for slightly older audiences yeah. where Friends really kind of tapped into to sort of popular culture and and sort of the zeitgeist of the time. But I think what both shows managed to do really well, Friends perhaps gets more credit for it, mm-hmm. is understanding that kind of um, the nature of how it was being consumed and really, really tapping into the power of a good cliffhanger at the, yeah. <laughs> at the end of a season. Mm-hmm. And Friends was brilliant at that because, mm-hmm. you know, for that six months that it was off air between mm-hmm. seasons, yes. People talked about it arguably more than they talked about it when it was on air because yeah. you wanted to know what happened. Exactly. I know. And the whole debate about, you know, is Rachel pregnant? You know, that was another <laughs> massive one. And then like, what's happened with Monica and Chandler? You know, just there was so much to talk about. And yeah, it was just absolutely, it was the equivalent of, I suppose, I don't know, reading a, a magazine like Heat or something like that and getting mm. your little fix of, you know, pop culture through that particular show. It was just such a source of pleasure. And I think it still is. And I think that explains Maybe the difference between Fraser, maybe there will be strong Fraser fans listening to this feeling very outraged at me right now. But like <laughs> Fraser was so smart and funny and clever, but I think Friends had a kind of levity um, mm. as well, which again, I wouldn't want people to think that I'm saying Friends is superficial or slight because it's not. It's such smart, sophisticated humour. But there was just something very pleasurable and light about Friends that I think maybe allowed everyone just to sort of get sucked in and enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think Friends is is a a more easygoing watch, but I think mm-hmm. it just it 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 managed to just tap into this kind of uh, something universal. It just it spoke to people. Um, yes. It didn't need to be clever. It didn't need to be really particularly witty or or, or, or over intelligent. No. It just it, it it was just. I think Friends more than other shows, perhaps before or since as well just kind of expertly shone that sort of mirror or held that mirror up to society and reflected back what people were seeing in their own lives. And I think that's what works so well. Yeah, I think you're right. So, yeah, I talked earlier about how it taps into sort of issues in your 20s, which I think is true. But actually, they're just quite fundamental questions like, who am I? What am I going to do with my life? You know, and then underneath all of that, it's it's the bedrock of your friendship group, whatever that is. And that's mm. what keeps you sane when your job is bad or you have a bad breakup or you're just having a boring day and you want to find something to entertain yourself with. You know, So there are times when friends acts as if the viewer is part of the friendship group. Mm. And, and again, I think that is just so powerful about it as well. There's a lovely episode quite early on where Phoebe does a recap of what's happened so far. And then she sort of breaks the fourth wall, looks straight to camera and she says, but anyway, enough about that. How you been? You know, yeah, and just yeah. bringing the audience in and making you part of the experience, I think is what people loved about it as well. Yeah. And really feeling like you're part of that group and part of that conversation yeah. is. And and that was, I think, quite different, you know, for the time, like having that fourth wall there was, mm. is standard, you know, not yeah. to camera kind of comedy mm. setup, but then kind of for, for large parts of episodes being sat around a few sofas in a coffee shop mm. it just it brings you in doesn't it it makes yeah. you feel like you're there absolutely yes and even there are so many things like when you think about it 90s like coffee culture was starting to be a thing you know we mm. take that for granted now but it wasn't really at the time the show came out so the idea of just going to a cafe and sitting hanging about for hours and drinking coffee that wasn't that common you know but the show sort of really tapped into that and it, it made 
sort of massive stars out of all of its actors right from the beginning. And I think that's been a source of pleasure for a lot of people viewing it as well. You know, you get to watch the actors change on screen. You sort of mm. follow their off-screen lives as you're growing older as well. You know, there's just lots of things to be invested in. Yeah, and actually, you know, looking back at Friends, um, I mean, I, like with any show that you rewatch countless times, on every rewatch, you you notice something extra yeah. or different that you didn't before. But um, you mentioned about Friends really sort of tapping into the the that sort of boom of the coffee culture. I guess not just in America but worldwide. But there's that episode, isn't there, where they is it is it a is it a look back or is it a kind of what if? I think it was a look back and and Central Park was a bar and it was like a pool yes. bar and mm-hmm. and they were joking about the fact that it was being closed down and turned into a coffee shop and kind of kind of ridiculing that, weren't they? So yes. you know, in its own way, Friends really provides a good sort of point in time documentary for what life was like in America, right? Exactly. Yeah, it does. And I was thinking, again, in sort of preparation for our chat, you know, there's no social media in Friends, you know, they don't sit around the sofa having their coffees and say, no, I've just uploaded this image to the gram. And, you know, or someone was really awful to me on Twitter and like, what do I do? I've got into trouble at work. You know, there is no social media Mm. element in Friends, but that doesn't date it weirdly for me as well. Yet in other ways, it is so absolutely of its time. You know, we've talked about coffee culture, for example, you can watch I don't know, I quite enjoy watching the changing fashions and hairstyles and things like that as, <laughs> as the decades go through as well. So, yeah, I think you can probably tell it's, it's just a source of endless pleasure, really. Yeah, and I wonder, because we we watched Friends at the time, um, mm-hmm. so there's, I think, to us, there's something quite nostalgic about Friends, and we grew up in that time. But Friends remains a huge show to the point where I think reportedly each of the cast members was still even mm. up to now in 2023 earning like 20 million dollars a year each mm. in royalties yeah. you know it was a billion dollar property mm. per year for warner brothers and it ended in 2004 yeah. what is it about friends that clearly doesn't just speak to those who were fans at the time but to yeah. whole new audiences who are rediscovering yeah. it I think, so again, this is going to sound very historically specific, but I think it's a sort of illustrative example. So after 9-11, there was a boost in viewership of Friends at the time because people saw it as a comfort watch. And I can very much see that in the wake of such a sort of national or global tragedy. People wanted to watch something sort of a bit more friendly and reassuring. But I think that's why people watch it now as well. You know, even if you didn't grow up with it at the time, I still think the humour is so sharp it's broadly optimistic and reassuring. Again, we could talk about maybe some of the gaps it has in its representation, but on the whole, it tells a optimistic, cheering story about the power of friendship. Everyone makes it into their 30s pretty unscathed. You know, there are no serious traumas. You leave the show kind of waving goodbye to them, knowing that they're going to be all right in their adult lives. It ends, actually, I think Chandler has one of the last lines And he makes a joke about they're leaving Monica and his apartment. And he says something like, shall we get a coffee? Where will we go? Or something. And the joke is, of course, they will go to Central Park, Central Park. So it I think there's a lot to do with reassuring rituals of familiarity and bonding. Uh, Mm. Don't get old. You know, it doesn't matter uh, when you watch them and what age you were when you first saw the show or didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wonder if that is the difference between shows like Friends and shows more recently like the big bang theory 
mm-hmm. uh, both of which were hugely popular, huge successes. However, it doesn't feel like the Big Bang Theory has that staying power that Friends had. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's exactly as you said, you know, because a show like the Big Bang Theory is maybe too much of its time and mm-hmm. it's too situational. I, and, and maybe Friends doesn't get enough credit for actually having those layers and, and, mm-hmm. and you know, having those kind of universal themes running underneath it that, yeah. that help it to be so enduring. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think, um, you know, we're getting into thinking about, you know, what it tells us about American culture, but it tells us, I think, quite specific things about the desire for the American dream, you know, being filtered through the experience of coming age, coming of age, growing up into adulthood. But as I keep saying, I think these are really fundamental and I would say universal questions, despite the you know lack of diversity on the show that it often gets criticised for. Just these very basic questions. Who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Who are the people who are going to support me while I do that and who stay with me through thick and thin while everything is complicated and then have their good times with me as well? It's just absolutely fundamental to human experience. And I think there's a strong wish fulfillment element to it as well, because, you know, I won't be too sort of naive about it. Not everyone has the kind of friendship group that you watch in Friends. Not everyone has the kind of economic privilege that they seem to have in that little Friends universe. And yet, People get so much out of watching them debate for 30 minutes over, you know, what they're going to do for Thanksgiving or something. <laughs> so, yeah. Let's look a bit at representation in, in Friends because, uh, you know, we're sat here as as two, two white adults who grew up with Friends. And it's not surprising that we like it because it was a show that was very white and represented very white problems and mm-hmm. um, lifestyles. One of the things that Friends was criticised for, even at the time, was its lack of diversity in its casting. Is is that a reason to maybe, uh, to use today's terms, mm-hmm. cancel it? Or mm-hmm. is it just simply that it, Friends is a product of its time and we should understand mm-hmm. it in that context? Mm-hmm. I think, yes, Friends is a product of its time and we should understand it in its context. I think that doesn't mean it gets a free pass on criticism however and at the same time I would say no it doesn't call for cancellation so like (laughs) I suppose I'm taking a sort of middle (laughs) position in terms of uh, those debates and I can't lie you know being a massive fan of the show you are you get kind of defensive about it you don't like Mm. to hear sort of problems with it whereas I think there are a lot of other occasions I would be all over something for you know taking it down for its lack of xyz and it's not portraying things realistically does it really think this is a version of New York you know all of that kind of stuff Mm. but I can't imagine you people will be listening and saying oh maybe you're giving it a bit of an easy time you know because you like the show so much but I, I still think those questions about aging about what it means to become an adult in America are fundamental I don't think the show does represent them in a universal way but the questions are universal if that makes sense so I understand why not everyone will love the show and be gushing over it in the same way that I am for sure yeah of course and and you know it's quite funny to to look at some of the reactions that that friends gets nowadays uh, and it is under the microscope more mm-hmm. which is a testament to how big it is versus other shows of, of the same time mm-hmm. that the political correctness the the sort of those those faux pas that that would be unacceptable nowadays are scrutinized mm-hmm. and they are being picked up on but as you say it's it's not it's not an excuse because it was made in the 90s to forgive mm-hmm. that 
that yeah. perhaps we should be looking at Friends now more as um, a snapshot of the time it was made. You know, this isn't just about the show trying to reflect society at the time. It's also about what the makers of that, what, what it tells us about the mm-hmm. making of the show and and that the kind of the, the thought processes behind that. Because that in itself tells us a lot about where society and culture was at the time, right? Exactly. And I suppose when it, the show began, there was no conception of what a massive success it was going to be and that it was mm. going to go on for 10 years. And I suppose if you had the benefit of hindsight, you might say, well, actually, you know, we will have a much more diverse cast. We can tell lots of different stories because we've got 10 years, you know, to explore all of this. But that, that didn't happen at the time. Mm. I do think there are many areas in relation to, you know, race gender sexuality where it really does fall down you know and there are a lot of jokes that are not very nice and for a show that is so smart about its humor and again I think that's where it doesn't deserve just being let off the hook because the show shows that it can do high quality sophisticated humor that doesn't have to reach for stereotypes but it does do that sometimes you know so I think it does deserve um, being pulled up and more for that on the other hand you could say that for example there's a, a gay marriage story you know Carol and Susan get married then that's treated I think, nicely, you you, you know, in the show. And that was relatively uncommon for the 90s. So there were ways in which it was, I won't say it was ahead of its time, but it broke some new ground equally at the same time as we want to correctly criticise it for its limitations too. Yeah, I I agree. I think that it's it's dealing, uh, or it's inclusion of the lesbian wedding and the storyline and the the ongoing inclusion of Carol and Susan and that non-nuclear family set up with them and Ross, I think was quite progressive for its time. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's also probably worth acknowledging that we look back on friends and on on the way that those sort of characters and 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 um situations were were dealt with and think, oh well, that was maybe not appropriate. But at the time it clearly wasn't an issue because the show was a success. So yeah. this isn't the show being inappropriate. This is this is the whole like conscience of 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 its audience that were also yes. in agreement that that was that was a funny way to deal with something that That's tells right. us a lot doesn't it it does and if we if we want to criticize the show for certain things well we want to criticize the america or the audience you know that the show makers and producers thought would find acceptable mm. <laughs> you know this particular content you know so mm. I, I think there are questions to be asked of, of, of everyone, I suppose, and, and what the standards of appropriateness were at the time. I think it's interesting also that um, there's definitely a kind of 90s revival moment in television. You know, I'm watching a few things at the moment and the 90s does appear to be a, a historical moment that a lot of programmes are reaching to. I th- I'm sure it's for that nostalgia trip again, because a lot of the people probably producing and writing the shows these days are probably in their 30s and 40s and were coming of age themselves in the 90s. So I'm sure that's why the 90s itself has been mined at the moment. So Friends is, again, it always seems to be part of its moment, doesn't it? You know, it's 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 now important because people are revisiting the 90s and having this kind of cultural re-examination that we're talking about as well. But sorry, this is a long-winded way of saying that in the 90s, of course, we were pre-Me Too, we were pre-Black Lives Matter. It is kind of shocking to watch the content displayed in the 90s and see the kind of remarks people would make and there would be no pushback at the time and then I think back to my teenage years and I think well yeah people did say things like that and people didn't call them out for saying things like that so it is reflecting uh, the values at the time unfortunately. Definitely yeah and I you know I can still remember you know 
back in my childhood um, and a lot of people that can remember the 90s, there, there was a, a, a societal kind of othering of gay and, and trans and, and, and really anyone in the LGBTQ community. And so the fact that Friends included that at all, I think was considered a, a, a bold step. Um, yeah. How they dealt with it specifically is obviously up for debate and we can look back on that now however we we want but just simply including things like that I think was a was was progressive for a sitcom and and also I think it's a testament to friends that it's even its mistakes are are being used to create the blueprint for shows that followed and I referenced um Big Bang Theory you know that in my opinion that's a show that would never have existed in the way that we know it if it wasn't for a show like Friends. Yes, absolutely. And I think like How I Met Your Mother is another very similar one. You yeah. know, there are a number of young people all put together and, you know, they fall out, they get together, then they break up and everything comes and goes in their lives and things like that. But but yeah, what is it that makes those shows different? I do think that's such a good question. And I think there is there's a warmth in Friends that those other shows don't have. I think even the humour is a bit colder in some ways. I, don't, I think there's there is a basic kindness and friends on the whole you know which I think again lends that comfort watch feeling for a lot of viewers again I won't say for all viewers but I think something like the Big Bang Theory for me it has a slightly sharper humour that what didn't always give the comfort in the same way again that's just my opinion but that's how I feel about it. Yeah I think there's there's this general sort of shift away from the multi-camera sitcom now anyway you know the Big Bang Theory uh, is one of the last shows to do that you even look at its spin-off Young Sheldon which I th- I think is a really good sitcom uh, I I really enjoy it but it's reflective of a, a sort of a more considered comedy that we get now which is you know that single camera it's treated almost like a drama now yeah. um very few comedies uh are created now with the same sort of style and setup of friends and mm-hmm. i think you do lose something with that the reason mm-hmm. that, that that style of comedy worked is as we've said before it's it's inviting um there's something comforting mm-hmm. about it and it's it's really bingeable we know it's yeah. not particularly clever or high-end tv mm-hmm. but it's 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 easy viewing yeah, it is. It is. And yet I still I still think a lot of work goes into making it easy. You know, I, st- mm. I still think being able to get some of these plot lines out of really quite banal, small details, you know, you know, like you get, I don't know what, like 15 minute chunk out of Rachel, Monica and Phoebe wrestling over a wedding dress and a sales rack <laughs> or something, you know, like really small details of people's lives and it manages to be amplified and find the humour and the pathos and quite small things. I think that's very skilled to be able to do that and a lot of other shows can't do that in the same way I actually wondered whether is it a weird sort of punishing side of Friends success is that other shows have moved very much away from it because anything that you do that approximates Friends you a either look derivative and b you look like you're not doing it as well as Friends you know so in a weird way Friends has kind of cornered the as you say the sort of multi-camera sitcom comedy you know in ways that has less space for others it's weird, isn't it? Because, you know, as if you were sort of what, what David Crane and um, what is it, Marta Kaufman or the, the, the creators, and there's a third one who I've missed, I'm very sorry, but they must be absolutely loving life because Friends has become like the the sort of comparative show for any comedy. If it's too much like Friends, it's criticised for being a copycat. If it's too different from Friends, yeah. it's compared 
for its differences and sort of measured as is this okay is this is does this work because friends friends worked so are these changes good um you know and and friends is still that sort of barometer for comedy you know and and i think you know as you say you know easy viewing is a skill easy viewing um doesn't mean easy to make um and friends were very aware of what they were making they were very very conscious of who they were speaking to um and how they were coming across and that's that's why it's it's lasted so long i think you're right and and yeah it just started off by kind of it what i think maybe what we forget as well well I don't think you're forgetting it really, but maybe in general, sometimes we forget that Friends was pioneering when it started, you know, mm-hmm. and I've been using the word comfort a lot myself when talking about it. But when it started, they were taking quite a lot of risk, you know, with the kind of show that they were doing and thinking, well, will audiences like that? It was going up in competitive viewing slots alongside programs like Frasier. You know, it was doing something a bit different for a younger audience and they, yeah. they couldn't guarantee that it would take off as it did. But so glad it did. <laughs> yeah, and actually, you know, we, we have spoken about the Carol and Susan um, sort of mm-hmm. element here when we look at sort of the representation on screen in Friends. Yeah. But um, actually, it's the way that it shows family and like family yeah. dynamics in general, I think for its for its time, and I know I say that a lot, but for its time, very, very progressive. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got this uh, co-parenting situation with Ross, Carol and Susan yeah. when Ben came yeah. along in season one. You've got Phoebe, who, yep. you know, her whole story is that her dad ran out on them. Her mum mm-hmm. abandoned them. She lived on the street. She doesn't know her sister. Mm-hmm. You know, this incredibly dysfunctional family dynamic. And you've got you've got Monica, who feels, you know, completely unvalued and, yeah. and uh, unvalidated by her parents, which That's maybe right. isn't so progressive. Mm-hmm. But, you know... It, there's there's a lot of dynamics you've got Chandler who's whose dad is a, a drag exactly. queen yes. you know it's it's there's, there's a lot going on there is I think now we take it for granted because these issues are so well then we, we don't consider them issues anymore I think that's right I know and, and again that is where it was groundbreaking I suspect and people were able to maybe look beyond some of the specifics of the family arrangements that you were watching in Friends and thinking, okay, it's not exactly like Phoebe's story or Chandler's story, but mm. I know a bit about family dysfunction. I know a bit about tension. I know a bit about feeling that, you know, I don't know, my parents think my sibling is great, but not me or something, you know, you know, so there's a lot of things like for, I'm, I'm not saying I think that by the way, but <laughs> that's not personal story. But um, I think, I think there was a lot in there. And actually I was thinking just while we were talking, so something like Elizabeth Wurzel's Prozac Nation, is a very famous memoir. It came out in 1993, I think, which is the year just before Friends, and became a real kind of talisman for Generation X. So we've been talking about it more in relation Friends, more in relation to millennial culture. But actually, it would be interesting to hear probably the views of somebody who is about 10 years older than us, who would be closer to the age of the actors and Friends when they were doing the show. Because um, I mean, Matthew Perry was 54, uh, I believe. Mm. And um, to hear things like even divorce wasn't as widely talked about or acknowledged, I think, yeah. when Friends came on the scene, you know. So if, if something like that wasn't even getting the kind of wide traction that we're used to, then we can think about how much further Friends went with the kind of different family scenarios it presents us with. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Friends, for for all the the, the reasons that we might might look back on it and say that it was problematic, I, I think also are the reasons that at the time, um, it was so significant 
in driving mm. conversations forward and normalizing things mm. that that before friends were were very yeah. were very uh, excluded from the sort of national conversation exactly um and i think that's where the the backdrop of sort of coming of age or coming into adulthood is really fascinating to watch in the show and and you get to watch the characters age into themselves and become more comfortable with who they are and make decisions about who they want to be and I suppose that's ideally what people want to happen for themselves you, you know as well which again I think is why the show does resonate with so many people yeah. um, I was thinking about the people involved with Friends I think have been involved with Grace and Frankie I don't know if you've watched any of that it's looking at too much older women and that kind of confirms to me that Friends is interested in ageing. You know, definitely it focuses more on youth, but I think it's interested in just people passing through time, how they change, how they stay the same, what their identities are. And again, that, that's you could say that's a very American preoccupation, but I think it's a very human preoccupation as well. There are moments when Friends kind of addresses the sort of its its ageing um, characters. You know, there's I mean, there's a lot of flashbacks in Friends, and that yeah. sort of that was very much of its time. I think we don't yeah. we don't really do that anymore in, in comedy, but there's a lot of flashback episodes, and there's also that episode where um, Gandalf, their old sort of buddy, yes. is back in town, and they suddenly realise that they're just too old to to do That's this right. like all nighter sort of drinking partying yeah. sessions anymore. Um, I know, I know. I think my favourite episode. And the whole of the Friends over it is the one with the prom video in season two, where Rachel and Ross get together like properly because she sees him being nice to her on screen when they were both, well, when Ross, no, Rachel's going to a prom and Ross Mm. is going to go with her. And then you see the look of devastation in his face when her, her date actually turns up and they go away. And for me, that is such an archetypal Friends episode because it taps into nostalgia. It gets you thinking about your present self and your future self and your past self. And it uses a screen that's so clever. It's almost like a little meta commentary on itself, that episode, I think, for the whole show of Friends. And it gives you wish fulfillment. It gives you a happy ending. It gives you a sense that these people are meant to be together. They didn't know it at the time, but they will get to sort themselves out in the future. You know, again, these are very reassuring messages for people. You can make mistakes, but we'll fix it, you know. Yeah, Yeah, and there's something very, I think, discreetly aspirational about Friends. You know, it's not like, you know, looking back to other shows I've mentioned already, you know, it's not like trying to win a Nobel Prize like in Big Bang Mm -hmm. Theory. It's not like trying to become a um, a renowned radio Mm -hmm. star like in Frasier. Um, It's... It's just having a good support network. It's settling down. It's having a career that you're that you're happy with. It's having mm-hmm. a nice home and a nice family around you. Exactly. You know, very conventional yeah. um, aspirations, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, I think it's aspirational, and exactly. it's and it, and I think that's why it's it's so universal because, mm-hmm. to some degree or other, everyone can relate to those kinds of of life goals Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah and they're they're conventional but they can be very difficult to achieve you you know it can be difficult to find the person who ends up being your partner it can be difficult to find out what you want to do with your life and actually I suspect young people watching it today will think the friends characters have it pretty good you know because you know they have pretty stable employment they have stable residence I think a lot of that won't speak that realistically to young people today and yet the show is still watched eagerly by young people today so that's kind of fascinating as well yeah and it's it sort of thinking about everything that, that that we've discussed do you and and sort of the the impact that friends has had do you think that friends 
reflected America or do you think <laughs> Friends shaped America? It's I guess it's that sort of art imitating life, imitating yeah. art kind of cycle, right? Yes, gosh. It's a good question. I think, again, I'm, I'm going to give you an answer. It sounds like a cop-out and say it probably <laughs> did both, <laughs> I think. It did reflect a lot of things about American culture. And, again, I think that partly explains its success because 1990s America was quite seismic in a lot of ways. You know, there were a lot of big cultural shifts. We talked about coffee. But what that actually represents is the rise of big conglomerations and corporate takeovers and multinational you know, branches of all sorts of, you know, uh, businesses and things like that, which was actually often a kind of perceived as an American kind of takeover, you know, of consumer mm. culture as well. For some people, that was really exciting. For some people, that was, you know, one of the most evil things about American culture, you know. <laughs> so the show kind of captures a lot of that as well. And again, you can have your opinion about, you know, the positives about that and the, the minuses about that, I guess. And then I think the show does shape discussions about friendships, about family, um, about what people want from life, about what they think adulthood should be, and really good conversations about what friends leaves out, you know, mm. whose stories aren't told, whose stories should be there. And, you know, when people like me get very excited about the show and say, it asks, you know, fundamental universal questions, does it really? You know, there will be people who will push back quite strongly and legitimately on me for saying those kinds of comments, I think. Mm. You know, you mentioned about the the time that um, the sort of the period of time in America and that sort of rise of um, consumer culture and, and and all of that. Um, Friends actually alluded to that, you know, in the episode where they were trying to cancel the gym membership, and they yes. they couldn't. They were constantly That's being good. like upsold and like yes. outsmarted <laughs> by like the corporate machine that was yeah. the gym, right? And That's right. I think it's a it's a great example of Friends really. It's yeah. not a dumb comedy. It understands no. its audience and it it brings these quite big themes and topics um, exactly. and breaks it down into something really quite relatable and as simple as, I want to quit the gym. Yes, exactly. And they keep you know? bringing out these very sort of lovely young women to sort of distract them. <laughs> as well, um, and another similar episode is uh, when Phoebe ch- ch- changes her place of employment. So she's still a masseuse. But instead, it's for a big company, you yeah. know, and she's got a proper uniform and she's very glamorous and all that. And she keeps um, talking in different accents in this very futile <laughs> attempt to make Rachel think that she's not <laughs> uh, there. And so, yeah, they embrace their own complicity, I suppose, you, mm. you know, in the kind of consumer culture that they're living in. And But there's also a kind of necessity about it. You know, they need to pay rent. They need to function, you know, in their lives. And sometimes that means making decisions that you're not entirely happy with but you go with it you know yeah and um one thing that that i've noticed on on re-watching friends as an adult versus you know the the, the 11 year old that first discovered mm-hmm. the, the show is that there's a lot of very adult jokes in there yeah. um not just in themes but like there's a lot of adult jokes and mm-hmm. they really perfect kind of it being lost on children um yes. enough that anyone of any age can still enjoy the show but then as an adult you understand what they're getting at. You understand those little innuendos and those yeah. sort of double entendres and and it just adds another layer of enjoyment mm-hmm. to the show. It does. And, and it means, again, that, you know, we get to age along with the show and see things mm-hmm. that we didn't see the first time. I, I do always enjoy that uh, as well. So you can see it as a period piece. But on the other hand, it appears to not date as badly as other shows, precisely, as you say, because it sort of layers in those different 
levels of humor i suspect mm. yeah. yeah and um i think we could well i think we could talk about friends um, all day long um, but uh we should probably draw this conversation to some kind of close uh, and i'm going to do so by asking you a couple of questions firstly an almost impossible one uh, what is your favorite episode uh, I think it is the one with the prom episode I was saying earlier. I just love that episode so much. It's really bittersweet and sets the Ross and Rachel kind of romance off on what is really its more permanent kind of trajectory. It's just lovely. Yeah. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I, I love that episode. My favourite has to be the um, probably a classic one, the game where they win the apartment um, in season oh, four. Which I believe they actually adapted into like a, a family board game. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What does do? <laughs> or what is <laughs> But I, I also, yeah. I do also love the uh, the poker episode in season one as well. Um, and yes, I think just to give the later series a bit of a bit of a shout out, the one where Ross is fine in season ten, um, yeah. I also think is a classic. That's really um, good. I know, and I love uh, the one where they all find out where Chandler and Monica have been keeping their relationship a secret, <laughs> and then Chandler and Phoebe are doing this brinkmanship, you know, you know, about pretending to flirt with each other. I think that's a great ensemble episode as well. And I yeah. suppose actually, we haven't said, you know, one of the reasons the show did so well, I think, is it, it had such a strong cast. You know, like all mm. six of the actors were excellent, and they needed to be to kind of keep that friendship communal focus rather than have it be I don't know Jennifer Aniston's show or Matthew Perry's show or something. yeah yeah and I think that was a very deliberate and also I think that was driven a lot by the the main cast as well to really yeah. there was you could tell there was a lot of solidarity and not just in you know the storylines that they got on screen but they that 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 went backstage as well you know they stuck together and made sure they were all paid the same exactly but, you know, yeah and, I know and yeah. I think actually not not to you know talk on too sensitive topics but you know Matthew Perry again it's pretty well known that he's had a difficult time with you know addiction and substances and mental health and and I think they rallied around him as well I think they protected him they tried to support him and you didn't see them all talking to the tabloids about oh he's such a difficult person to work with I can't stand it you know there was none of that and I I think they all looked after each other in ways that are very moving yeah yeah and I think you do see uh cast members that that like main cast members that leave long running shows um and over time there's like animosity between yeah. cast members but friends has just never suffered from that and i think there's been attempts to sort of tabloids mainly and like you know mm-hmm. gossip magazines always try and say oh you know someone's having a rift with someone else yeah. and this or that and you always hear these rooms it's never true you know, I know. In, in reality they all just seem like such a close group of people um, I think they are and again I know I know you want to wind things up but I, I sometimes wonder is part of that because they had a, a mixed gender cast mm. you know so sex in the city is one of the ones that gets the fiercest kind of chat about oh the women don't like each other they fall out you know it's Sarah Jessica Parker's mad at Kim Cattrall and all that, all that stuff I think the, there's a lot of sexism there and the fact that it's women all together means you can tap into stereotypes of like bitching and catfighting and things. Friends mm. slightly avoided that, I think, by having men and women, you know, be in its main group of characters. But I do think there's something specific about that particular group of actors. They worked together for themselves. They didn't allow one person to kind of take supremacy over the others. And actually, that's interesting to think about in relation to American culture, that tension between the individual and the community, you know, so the show... Yeah plays on all of that both in terms of its content and in terms of its sort of cast relations yeah yeah definitely and um thinking about the cast you know we don't often 
give the supporting cast much of a shout yeah. out. Um, who's your favourite supporting character in Friends? Um, it's an easy one, but it's Janice. She's just so funny. And that, that, that booming foghorn. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think yeah. she's, you just know as soon as she comes on the screen that you're going to be in for a good sort of comedy subplot. Yeah. What about oh. you? That's that's a, that's a, a good point actually. Janice is used so sparingly but so effectively, isn't yeah. she? It's great. Um, Mike has to be mine. Um, I uh, I think Mike bringing him in like so late as well. I'm yeah. always surprised at how few episodes he was actually in. Mm-hmm. Um, but Paul Rudd. I mean, at yeah, the time you didn't realize what a great comedy actor he was because yeah. that was sort of his kind of one of his breakout roles. But yeah, yeah he was he stole every scene he was in, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah. I, yeah, I no, he, he is fantastic. Yeah. And I guess maybe Gunther a little bit, you know, nice to mention him as well. I, I'm mm. sorry, I can't remember the actor's name. I know he passed away during the pandemic, I think, mm. as well. But again, the, the unrequited love for Rachel, which again was a bit of a subplot. There was a time in the 90s where it felt like all the plots were about somebody being in love with Rachel or something like that. And why not have Gunther <laughs> as well? That seemed to be very cleverly done, I think. Yeah, Gunther was that sort of reassuring kind of constant, wasn't he, in the background? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I wonder if he was meant to be a sort of audience proxy or something, you know, the sort of mm. person in the background listening in and, you know, the, the friends are friendly to him, but he's not part of that inner circle, you know, I don't know, maybe a sort of complicated version of an audience mirroring there. Yeah, yeah interesting, yeah, interesting. And finally, um, just to just to end this episode, uh, the all-important question, um, it's, a two, it's a two-parter. Um, <laughs> Firstly, were they on a break? And <laughs> secondly, whose side are you on? Oh, yeah. I'm on Rachel's side. That's an easy one to answer. <laughs> I think they were on a break. And I, but I think what Ross does is very dodgy. <laughs> to put it mildly. So I have no sympathy with his behaviour and I don't think he gets out of it by saying they were on This episode of America, a history podcast, was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Liam Heffernan. A special thanks to my guest this week, Rachel McLennan. And if you enjoyed this episode, do check out some of the extra resources that we leave in the show notes. And a lot of work goes into making this show, so if you can leave us a review and a rating, that would really be awesome. Next time, I'm joined by David Silverman as we look at some of the real history behind Turkey Day as we ask, what is Thanksgiving?